Reconfiguring for Remote Hacking. I'm Tanya Hall, and joining me is Charles Henderson, Global Managing Partner and Head of Export Spread at IBM. Welcome back, Charles. Hey, nice to see you again. Remind us what you do at IBM's Xforce Red. So I run Xforce Red globally, and we're a team of hackers. In fact, our mission statement is hacking anything to secure everything. So if you think about all the things that you use, whether they be um, websites, all the way down to planes, trains, automobiles, we get to them and attack them in hope, hopefully I should say, get to them and attack them before criminals have a chance to. And the idea is that we will uncover the vulnerabilities, allow our clients to fix them, and make the world a more secure place. And, and, and that's really important because, you know, our clients often will hire us to test electronic items before they're released to the market, or test a website that contains critical client information. And, and all of that stuff will be tested eventually. The question is, is it tested by a, a, a firm like ours who provides the results to the owner of the, 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 whatever the target is, or is it tested by a criminal who then harvests information using the vulnerability? You and your team just built a new security lab and then the pandemic hit. Tell us about the fire drill that you had to go through to continue your lab and uh, act activity remotely. You know, it was actually really funny because we, we built the state-of-the-art lab and we opened it in December of last year. And all of a sudden we thought, you know, problem solved, we have a place to test. And then the pandemic hit. And, you know, suddenly we were in the, uh, a boat that a lot of our clients were in. Now, you know, we've since opened it up for testing and, and we could do testing in the lab. Uh, we're, we're being very safe about it, but you know, we have that capability now. But for a while, we had to pivot to how can we do this remotely? And uh, it, it was very interesting because we've offered remote testing services for many, many years, but we've always had the option to go on site or go in and now go into our lab as needed as a fallback option for clients that maybe weren't prepared for it. And suddenly you had this mission critical service, which was security testing, and that, that, that safety net of going on site when, when all else fails was gone. And in point of fact, you also had to be concerned that you, know, you couldn't create a, a condition through testing that required your client to go on site because they couldn't do it. And you know, finally, it, it wasn't as if our clients can reach out to the criminals and say, hey, time out. Um, we can't go into the office. Would you, mind, would you mind holding off on any criminal activity for the next six months? So you, you still need to find vulnerabilities. And, and what this meant was we had to pivot very quickly to, I would say, an increased flow of testing um, and, and make sure that we were adequately providing testing coverage for our clients and in, in some cases thinking outside the box and you know we, we had one case where an atm needed to be deployed in the consultant's home to to a, allow a certain type of testing and and you know as the financial institution in question said um we actually need to test the atm very urgently because it turns out no one's on the street now 
So we're worried in terms of threat modeling that criminals will have an increased one-on-one -on -one exposure to the ATM. In other words, if you have an ATM on the middle of Main Street, normally people are walking by all the time, so you notice if somebody's trying to get to an exposed USB port or something. Suddenly, that safety net was gone. And now you have the bank thinking, hey, you know, if I'm an attacker, I can go out there and no one's on the street. Uh, similarly, you saw the, you know, uh, adaptations elsewhere. And then there was also the realization that the criminals themselves had a lot of time on their hands. You know, if you think about what you've been doing since, since the lockdown, you've probably taken up a couple of hobbies, okay? Um, hopefully healthy hobbies, but you're probably doing a lot of stuff that you weren't doing before. Well, the criminals sort of had a, that, that free time open up and, you know, the fear is, hey, what don't I know about my security from the perspective of my clients? What about adversary detection? How are you doing this? Well, you know, we do something called adversary simulation. It's a classically known as red teaming. We like adversary simulation just because some people use red teaming just to refer to penetration testing. Penetration testing, we do that as well, but that, that's different than when you're trying to test detection capabilities of an organization, policies, procedures, all of that. Um, so our adversary simulation to basically highlight gaps in detection became really important because suddenly you're seeing organizations as they pivot to this remote workforce, the, the dependencies they had for detection have gone out the window and they don't necessarily know about it. Um, you know, you don't have a fully staffed security operations center, a SOC anymore necessarily. You don't have a lot of the critical path um, detection capabilities that you did. And, and what's more, you have people operating from home on God knows what equipment using God knows what connectivity technology. Um, I mean, hopefully they're using your corporate VPN, but in the early stages of, uh, of COVID, even that wasn't necessarily a, a given. Um, VPNs got maxed out. Uh, you know, they were maybe provisioned in the first place to handle 25% of an, uh, a firm working remotely. And suddenly with close to 100%, if not 100% of that firm working remotely, they weren't able to handle the load. So you had users coming up with their own methods for remote um, uh, 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 work. And, you know, you, you hire people into your organization because they're imaginative, they're creative, and they come up with great ideas. Um, but if you, it turns out if you leave those users unable to work from home and they're forced to work from home, they'll find a creative way to work from home and you as a security administrator are going to be sad <laughs> because uh, as creative as they are, they're not security experts and they, you know, they don't even put it on the resume, okay? And it, it becomes incumbent on us to look and say, hey, how do we give them a secure way to work from home? But also, how do we now that we've pivoted to this work from home uh, 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 dynamic, how do we detect the same things that we used to be able to more easily detect when they were sitting in the office? Are there any long-term changes you think you'll make based on this experience? Uh, you know, it used to be that when an organization came to us and said, we have, we want to do an, like an app testing program. 
and we need you on site. We would just say, you know, you don't push back on that because you say, we'll, we'll, we'll do the client request. And you always say, well, what, what happens if there's some sort of world pandemic and um, we can't come into your office? And the client would always say, well, if we have a world pandemic, application testing isn't going to be at the top of our list. Well, we had a world pandemic, and it turns out that application testing is still a thing, as is buying toilet paper, steaks, and whatever else you need to do. Life goes on. And there was always this assumption on, you know, blaming Hollywood, there's this assumption that life was going to change drastically and that we were all going to be, you know, uh, uh, some sort of like a post-apocalyptic society. And, and it turns out that a lot of the same stuff really matters. And we hadn't been, I think, pushing back as aggressively on these clients saying, hey, look, I understand you want your tester to be on site, but testing can be done remotely just as effectively, if not more effectively than it can be done on site. And we really should, we should look at that as a, as a driving factor so that you have resilience should there be some kind of situation like this. Um, and, and I think that we are better preparing our clients as a result of this and, and having it be a recent worldwide phenomenon. I mean, it, you know, it's, a, it's not a good situation by any means, but it certainly brought attention to the fact that we need to be prepared for this kind of eventuality again. I mean, hopefully this ends soon and it never happens again. But I think everyone's aware that it, not only might it not end soon, but it, it may happen again and we need to be resilient to that prospect. Um, and that certainly, you know, I, I will say we get a lot less pushback. And in fact, we, we have clients now that are coming to us saying, hey, we need to pivot this to remotely. Remember when you said, hey, we, we, you could deliver this remotely. Are you still able to say yes? And they say, how quickly can you get it up and running? So I, I think, you know, the, the, unfortunate, but the unfortunate benefit of this is that we're, I think, a little bit more open to a, a, a better system. Charles, always a pleasure. It's great having you on. If somebody wants to connect with you, what's the best way they can do that? So Twitter is great. Um, Angus underscore TX on Twitter. Um, I, I'm also on LinkedIn. Or you can go to ibm.com slash xforcered. Read all about our team. Um, and my contact information is up there somewhere. And uh, you can also see uh, videos such as this and uh, some other cool stuff that we're working on. Thanks again, Charles. That's Charles Henderson, Global Managing Partner and Head of X-Force Red at IBM. And find more of my interviews right here or at tanyahall.net. Thanks for watching.